think I was just having a conversation with a vice principal of mine in my school yesterday. Uh, the current culture of just this like faith deconstructionism, mm-hmm. where like everyone's on this, and it and it's it, what's funny is it it tends to be evangelicals, I guess they call them, yeah. or you know people coming out of the evangelical church who have been hurt, um, who have a lot of pain, uh, and they've left that church for whatever reason, or or just evangelical church as a whole and then they're they always tend to go through this kind of faith deconstruction right like um is this really what i believe why do i believe this is this really what the bible says and so it's it as you were talking in just this self-discovery humanistic like deep dive into ourselves and if i find out all about me then i'll be okay right then i'll have healing then i'll be healthy and so um, breaking everything down, mm. you know, all of everything that I've been taught, everything that I know, breaking it all down and then trying to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's almost always in those deconstruction times, never in the context of community. Mm. It's yeah. always me as an individual trying to rebuild my faith mm-hmm. or re- or figure out who I am or. Um, deal with my stuff and my pain and my guilt and my um, and my issues. And so I just keep relating it back to community, just the need uh, for community to continue to bring those things to light. Let's start the show. Welcome to For the Sake of Phoenix, a podcast by Missio Day Communities, where we discuss how a community of God's people can learn to grow in God's ways for the sake of our city. I'm Chris Preby. I'm one of the hosts and one of the pastors of Missio Day Phoenix. We believe the Bible tells one unified story, and it's the true story of the whole world, a story that moves from creation to restoration, where Jesus is the hero and the church is invited to join in his redemptive work. Before I go any further, let me introduce you to my friend, co-pastor, and co-host of the show, Anthony Suarez. You can be known by the creator of the universe and deeply loved. And we as the church are to be an expression of that. We are to be the mediator, the ambassador, the expression of God loving his people. One of the spirits of our culture is trying to define our own reality. There is no. Uh, right. right. There is no. Right. And so what you decide for yourself and about who you are and about what the world is like around you is like, who, are, who is anybody else to say any different yeah. for you? Because that's for you. So, yeah, the, the, I think that leads into a lot of the, this growing epidemic of, of mental health problems we have, like growing anxiety in our culture is this this. Um, reality the stark contrast between what we've told ourselves and this reality we've constructed and then like the experience of actual reality going on around us where these things are clashing and it's making people like struggle and and wonder like what's going on and get depressed and get anxious and you know trying to live a lie is not healthy in the long run so yeah having a community who can lovingly point you back to truth yeah, and as i think about that like as you were just talking if it's up to me to figure out all about who i am 
there's a lot of anxiety with that. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. You know, like pressure. if, <laughs> if, if I'm on my own journey to figure out all of who I am and my own identity and there's no truth, mm-hmm. right? It's just whatever I land on, that's going to be truth. That's a lot of weight and responsibility to kind of have. And so, yeah, yeah you're going to have anxiety. There's going to be days where you're just like, this is too much mm-hmm. because it is mm-hmm. right. That we were never meant to. Um, I mean, go back to the garden. We're just going to define who we are for ourselves, yeah. right? Look how that turned out. Yeah, you know. And so it's, it's just this. Like that was never meant. We were we weren't created like that. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to have community and faith in a guy that says, "No, you don't have to figure this out." I, I've told you, this is who you are. This is who I've created you to be. This yeah. is when I created humanity at the very beginning. This is what it was meant to be and to do and to flourish and to be healthy and to create and to explore and to discover and to uh, have families and have relationship and build community all within the context of God is your God and he is he is the creator of all things and he knows what's best. He is best, mm-hmm. right? And so when we're on this self-discovery of I'm going to figure out who I am and I'm going to define me, that's, it just seems like futile, which mm. I mean, kind of is. But when you put it in that context, it's like, man, that's a that's a lot of weight. Yeah. And how's that working out? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, think about how different even 50 to 100 years of society of 50 to 100 years ago whatever your parents did your whatever your father did that was the job that you would do mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, wherever you lived you didn't have the mobility we have today so that was a community you were a part of you were probably known since the moment you were born you 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 were known all the way through being married having kids you probably wouldn't move more than maybe five or ten miles from your house where you grew up so you have all these pieces in place that are all connected together in relationship and work and uh, having raising kids, getting married. And so just think about like, we maybe see that as a negative thing today, right. like that kind of uh, structure or, <laughs> or um, restriction, we would call it. And yet, I wonder actually how much more, or I should say how much less anxiety yeah. there is in the sense of, no, I've been training for this specific vocation because mm-hmm. my dad does it. I know that this is where we live. I know this town like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. We're now like we have so much mobility and we have so many choices. Yeah. So we get decision fatigue and then we want to make the right decision. So we, there's an anxiety that's created in us. There's 15 different toothpastes that I can choose from now. <laughs> Which one's the best? I should go on Amazon and re- read the reviews. Yeah, should look at this blog to figure out what's the best for this. And so there is a sense of a rootedness, a groundedness in, and then the, what's the thing that holds it together? It's the fabric of a community yeah. of being, and then being known in that community where today we'd rather actually just more like isolated uh, nomads journeying mm-hmm. around from place to place, looking for the next experience or the next thing that will solve our deep woundedness. When often the answers to our deep woundedness are found like in the place that we're in right now, yeah. not in some other place. And where Jesus meets us in this place, not in some place that we'll get to. Yeah, I think about that a lot in how we choose our church community. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. back in the day, it was like, 
if you don't like the way they sing at, I don't like the kids program at the church of Ephesus. I'm going to travel to the church of Corinth. Like that didn't happen. You know? <laughs> it was like where you live. Like if you're, if you come into faith, like into Jesus, you're part of this community that meets in this house, you know, that's just where you live. And those are your brothers and sisters. And you don't get to define who your family is. It's defined for you. You know, like God has, has put this family together. Mm-hmm. And now like I've, I've recently had conversations with people who were like, yeah, like I, I really, um, really love like what you guys are teaching and what you're about and how you're, you're desiring to be missional and we're, like people were great there and it's really close to our house, but I'm just not sure if that's where God wants us. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's really not that difficult. Like, but it's this, it's this, uh, there's a spiritualization to that decision making process. I think also that happens. It's like, you par you paralyze yourself with um, that decision. Like I've done that, where I'm like researching what's what's the best product when I need to buy this, and I research it so much that I just don't ever yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I can't make a decision, and I think we do that. We put some spiritual words on those decisions sometimes too, to make it sound like, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to like show me. But like the reality is like you're just not committing to anything and you're not, mm-hmm. you're just not like rooting yourself where you are and being faithful to live out who you're supposed to be in any context that you find yourself. Being yeah. present where we're at, committing to the long haul on specific places, not getting quick, like not quickly moving from thing to thing. And even to be known, right. Doesn't happen overnight. It has to be in the context of a community that takes a long time and in presence and, and longevity, being able to practice and there's safety in that. Because now we're committed to a place and to a people. Now we can try and experiment and, and work through different things because we're known and we're seen. As Anthony was talking through like the self-exploration, exploration, um, thinking of identity, and even the anxiety that comes with trying to figure out ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even of some of the identity formation pieces always in our culture disconnected from story or the yeah. stories that we believe about ourselves, or maybe we don't even know that we believe about ourselves. And so over the last maybe six months or so, I've been thinking and trying to, to reimagine even, uh, what does formation or spiritual formation look like yeah. in the context of understanding the stories that we're a part of or the stories we believe about ourselves? And how does that then shape our practices mm. in light of our identity? And so one of the ways I've been thinking through that is, so my son, he's four, loves reading books. He could read, he literally could sit all day and read books. Like he would, he would love that. Like from morning to night, he'll just have this attention span of like, it's amazing. That's uh, awesome. Continue so, to foster that. Yes, yeah. my boys are not like that. Like they, he just. <laughs> I wish it. I was like. I know. <laughs> yeah, his attention. Like he's just super laser focused into whatever book. Well, about five or six months ago, he got really into Knights and Dragons, and so we got this like, in my mind, lame, weird story of a knight and a, fighting a dragon from like the library used book section or whatever. You could buy a book for two bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
we got this book, and I'm not exaggerating because we make these stories up. Often we can we can make them bigger than they are. No, he really like wanted to read the book four or five times a day. <laughs> At night, he we had we read it every night for probably a month. And this is a, and it was a big book, so that was kind of also the tension of like, <laughs> hey, we need to go to sleep, but yeah. it's going to take 20 minutes to read. But he just immersed himself in that story like, mm. of Knights and Dragons. And it was funny because the, that whole month as he immersed himself in that story, naturally, what, what did he want to become? Like, what was, his, what was shaping his identity? A dragon. I want to dragon. become, <laughs> no way, I want to become a knight. Like, I want to fight, I want to fight the dragon. And so my, my, uh, my mom got him this knight costume. And so for the next month, he's wearing this knight costume every day. He's got this foam sword. Like, he's taking on the identity of what he's been immersing himself in the yeah. story. But not only that, it's not just he wants to take on the identity, like, oh, I have this cool costume now. He wants to practice to do the things that knights do. And so even for a couple of weeks before it got too hot, earlier this year, we would do, like, mini jousting tournaments outside where he would, we'd fake like we're both on a horse with our foam swords and run towards one another and do this, do this big joust together. And so he wasn't just taking on the identity, but then he was beginning to practice the things that knights do, yeah. like with his sword, with running around the house, even terrorizing his sister. Like he took on both the identity and the practices. Now, the reason I bring that up is notice he starts with the story, a story that he immerses himself in. That story gives him an identity. Oh, I want, I want to be a knight. I want to play my role in this story. And then identity then leads to practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, often we think about mental health, we think about spiritual formation or disciplines, we actually start the opposite way. Yeah. We start with the technique. Mm-hmm. What are the practices I need to do to get better at whatever or to be less anxious or feel less depressed? And those are really important. But if we start with practices and not whatever story we're a part of, those practices will just be part of some other story, mm-hmm. whether we're aware of it or not. And this is where some of the self-actualization and some of the self-improvement of our culture becomes the dominant story, even how we think about spiritual formation or disciplines is, oh, I'm going to do these techniques, these practices that will then give me an identity and without even realizing or putting me in this story, this cultural story that says it's just about exploring oneself disconnected from community. And then it begins to shape all of our life in that way. And so I think that's, one of my things is as we think through any of our practices is like, hey, start first with the story that that you want to be a part of that you know is true. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what identities are formed from that? And then, therefore, what are the practices? Yeah. Because if not, uh, most of the spiritual disciplines as we know them have been way more shaped by individualism and a culture of self-improvement and technique that they actually are completely disconnected with what prayer, let's say, for example, looks like in the biblical story. Mm. Now prayer is about my own personal relationship with Jesus. It really matters. But it's only that. Prayer becomes just about me talking to God about my own stuff. Prayer isn't about others in community. Prayer isn't to help energize and mobilize me for loving my neighbor well. Prayer just becomes about my own stuff because it's disconnected from the story. Even quiet time, right? Right. Quiet time has been like this big thing in, you know, the Western church, like, I don't know if people use that phrase as much anymore, but definitely like growing up in the nineties church, it was like, make sure you're getting your quiet time in, you know, every morning. And it was a very individual way of entering into scripture. And usually that was done in little bite sized mm-hmm. pieces of devotionals where 
for the early church, it was like, yeah. And, and Israel, you know, like the scripture was a communal thing. It was, it was reading it aloud to one another and, and speaking it to one another in a group, in a community. And uh, everyone come with a, a psalm or a hymn mm-hmm. or, you know, and like just this, we, we, we took that practice and we, we pulled it out of the story and mm-hmm. we isolated it and made it an individual thing. And then that whole self-actualization stuff starts taking place with how you interpret and understand scripture now. It's like, well, this is, this is what this says to me. I mean, that was even when we would enter into like little small groups mm-hmm. in the nineties of like what, you know, the Bible studies would look like that question. That was mm-hmm. the number one question that I came around was like, what does this mean to you? Right. Yeah. And I don't think that's how the early church ever <laughs> looked at scripture is what does this mean to you? No, this is the true story. Right. Mm-hmm. And now how are you living in it? And, and I think maybe that's why it's so helpful to learn from different traditions or um, different denominations, let's say. Like, so I think this prop, I'm going to make a, maybe a, a bold statement, and this could not be true. So We'll edit it out. We'll edit not. it out if it's not. <laughs> but I wonder if some of the, our understanding of, of mental health and spiritual disciplines has been, because it's been so shaped by the, like the Western story of individualism, of self-actualization, self-improvement, that that actually that isn't the same story though, on the same problems for other cultures, for other traditions of the church. So, mm. for example, the historic Black Church, they've had a way more holistic vision of the spiritual disciplines, of community, yeah. of prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, even uh, think about the civil rights movement. If we use that as an as an illustration or an example, like it was deeply formed by these practices. Before they would march, there'd be meetings within churches of prayer. There'd be lock-ins. The whole mm-hmm. night, churches would be praying. Yeah. Always in the context of community. Scripture was never this isolated experience. It was the story of the whole world, and it was a story of God freeing those who are mm-hmm. oppressed or have been left out or marginalized, that, like the Exodus story, never just the individual story. And so I think that's why we need other traditions, other cultures, largely other cultures that are more communal in nature, to actually— yeah showcase our blind spots with both mental health and spiritual disciplines and their connection, because I think it might be uniquely a very Western, Western understanding of prayer, Bible reading, quiet time. Mm-hmm. Like quiet time is a very, I think probably a very Western American idea. I don't know if uh, our brothers and sisters who are faithfully following Jesus in Nigeria are thinking through quiet time the same way we're Unless Western missionaries came in and talked yeah. about it. they would say their story that they're living in is you know mm-hmm. like they're not avid readers right yep. they only read if we make them <laughs> <laughs> but they are in a story you know like um yeah. it might be roblox it might be minecraft or it might be um the, the story of our home or you know but yep. 
uh, it just made me think about like, I, I should ask my boys, uh, just kind of explain to them we, we're all living in the context of a story, right? And sometimes it's multiple stories, mm-hmm. right? We have different roles and responsibilities and um, ask them to see if they recognize a story that they might be living in. And if not, uh, communicating like what I as, as their yeah. dad see as their dominant story that they're living within, mm-hmm. uh, but also helping them recognize there's a bigger story here, right? That we're all living in yeah. and that we all are invited to participate in. And so, you know, you might be living in this story here and your practices are based out of this story you're immersing yourself in. But I want you boys to recognize there's a bigger story here. And so I, that was super helpful for me just as in my context, in my responsibility as a dad, just kind of be like, oh, yeah, like that would be helpful for my boys to see. So I'm like, hey, turn off the video games. <laughs> it's not just like, I don't want you having fun. Right. Or you shouldn't be in front of media that long. It's, hey, let's participate in the bigger story here. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's step away from this smaller story because the practices that are being birthed out of that story are uh, competitiveness, like anti-love for your brother, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, I'm going to beat you or, you know, all these different things. And so let's step out of that story and recognize this bigger story that we're in and how can we help that story shape our practices and our daily rhythms. I think what is beautiful too, is when you can find ways that you can find redemption links, like between that story and the bigger true story, you know, like there's little echoes of what the true story is. And so like, you know, why do you, why do you love Minecraft? Yeah. And like talking about like the Mm -hmm. God who created all things and how he were made in his image to create like he does. And, but pointing it back to this bigger, truer story or like, you know, with Clark, with the, the knight and the dragon yeah, and just right. talking about like, you know, how, how God is doing battle against, you know, the beast, right? Totally. <laughs> doing battle against sin and, and evil and darkness and fighting against that. And, you know, there's probably all kinds of like super spiritual things you could do there with the armor of God <laughs> in the night. But, <laughs> but finding these, uh, I, I think... What I'm, what I'm trying to get at is there's all kinds of normal everyday practices we all have mm-hmm. that could be done in light of a different story. Or we can take those same practices. We don't necessarily have to dump all of them and adopt wholly new practices. But we can take those and turn those in light mm-hmm. of the true story and kind of bring some redemption to those practices. Yeah. And so everyday things like with Missio, we talk about. Uh, our blessed rhythms. And these are things everybody does. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's an acronym, bless, listen, eat, speak, Sabbath. Um, probably not everybody uses the word Sabbath, but everybody rests, you know, and everybody is, hopefully. yeah, hopefully everybody's saying something. Everybody eats, everybody's listening to something or mm-hmm. someone, everybody serves somebody. And that's that blessed part. And so, but taking those everyday practices and doing it with intentionality in the true story Uh, and finding kind of a a redemptive arc to that.
I know you, one of the things you wrote down, Charlie, I'll let you talk about this, was like running as a spiritual formation practice. Mm. So I think that would be a great example yeah. of a normal, seemingly like um, just very everyday thing yep. and using that intentionality for forming your, your soul, your spirit, yep. your whole self. Yeah, so... Yeah, all our practices, right, are either forming, they're all forming us, every practice. And I would say either they're forming us or they're, like, in many ways deforming us in some mm-hmm. ways of making us less human. Our practices are making us more human or less human. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to think through uh, what does it look like for me individually as a, as a person and my own personality and my own uh, makeup as who I am, what are practices that, actually could be really formative for me that wouldn't be the traditional like Bible reading and prayer, um, at least like sitting in a room doing that. And so one of the things I've done over the last two years, almost every morning, I would say probably maybe there's only been one or two days where I haven't. I've gone for like just a 20-minute run in the morning. Now, usually I wake up and my mind is all over the place. Like I'm thinking about the day. I am trying to rehash something I saw wrong with the day before and trying to fix in my mind. I'm trying to solve problems right away. And I've gotten good at least at most of us. You know, we turn over and we look at our phone right away. I move yeah. my phone out to the to the living room so that I'm not the first thing I'm doing when I wake up is, is check my email or scroll through social media. So that's even like a simple formative practice I've started. But I've also recognized that for me, I wake up in, in that kind of foul mood. I need something physical that engages my body to like work me through that so that I actually could spend time in prayer. I could actually be present with, with others and love of neighbor. That for me, just getting up and trying to jump right into reading the Bible or even into prayer, like I'll do, I'll do that often, but it's not the same as if in the same way of, of an embodied experience of running. And so when we think about disciplines, we often disembody them. It's just about our minds. It's a mental exercise of like, I need to memorize this verse or pray in my mind. But I wonder if we need to connect more with our bodies, mm-hmm. with what it looks like to practice things. So the run for me is an act of prayer. Now, it's not like prayer as in I have this like Lord Jesus and then spend this whole time. It will just be a bunch of random thoughts coming. Me trying to figure out what to hand some of those over to Jesus to dismiss others in helpful ways of like, hey, I, that's not worth my time right now. I'm not going to. But it gives me 20 minutes to kind of process all of the, for lack of a better word, like the gunk mm. of my heart from the previous day that I haven't processed and give, gives me an outlet through a physical exercise yeah. to like work through some of that stuff so that when I do get back to my house after the run through my neighborhood, I do think there's a better chance for me those next 30 minutes to an hour to be more present with my kids, more present with Keaton, more present with the Lord and what he's doing that day. Um, even a simple practice when I come home usually is to water the the plants in my front yard. And so just trying to like, as I water these plants and think about the water pouring on this hard ground of the desert, like trying to just sit in that experience of like, this is what Jesus has done uh, on behalf of the whole world. And for me, he's he's the living water that now has been poured out on his world. And so we get to drink from him and we no longer need to be thirsty. Mm-hmm. And so even just that simple process of watering my plants becomes a spiritual discipline of being present in the moment and present in God's creation. And so my encouragement for people often is 
if they feel like, yeah, I'm just not really good at reading my Bible and doing quiet time in the morning, whatever that looks like, is how can you make it a more physical experience? Yeah. So even Andy Crouch, he's uh, written a bunch of amazing stuff, but he's he makes a comment in either a podcast or a book of the most formative spiritual discipline he's done over the last couple of years is when he first wakes up, the first thing he does is he goes outside and just like looks at God's creation mm. in his neighborhood, looks at a tree, but like physically goes outside yeah. and then just sits there for three or four minutes. The most formative thing he's done mm. because I think so much of our time spent in front of screens. Yeah. We have so much buffered life where there's something in a sense that prevents us from being present with ourselves, with God and with others that we need physical experiences to, to root us back in reality mm -hmm. in many ways and use those moments to then be an avenue for prayer, for hearing from God's word, from for silence and solitude, for uh, thinking through our day and how we might love our neighbor well. Mm -hmm. But we need we need more experiences like that embodied. And so how do we I think how do we help people as leaders explore and experiment with practices that maybe don't look as orthodox as the traditional quiet time or traditional disciplines that we think about? Some people are great at that. They can sit and pray for hours and hours. I would assume most people are not that way. Well, but I love the embodied attentiveness to, to your physical self, to creation. And like, because I think the, the idea of like prayer has to be like your eyes are closed, your head's bowed, hands folded on your knees, kind mm -hmm. of like. You know, like shut out everything around you. Don't pay attention to that. It, it's almost honestly, and I, I might be totally overstating this, but it's almost like this Gnostic kind of view of like separate mm -hmm. everything physical around you and just get into the spiritual zone, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and I think a lot of that has come just through like the Western church, through yep. maybe through enlightenment period, this idea that we're just, uh, Maybe it's it's all about being this brains on a stick and trying to uh, understand God here mentally, uh, and then maybe getting in touch with this ethereal soul that is somehow separate from ourselves. Um, and we do that so that our quiet time being individualized, our prayer being separated from physical reality around us. I think those things can very well add to anxiety. Yes. You know, because then if that's completely separated and then you got to open your eyes at some point, you kind of enter back into the real world yeah. and it's like, oh, wow, like you don't know what to do with it. Like God created your physical body and God created this this earth that we're on for a purpose. And like he put us here to be connected to that. And, you know, it's our rebellion that has broken that relationship. And so. Entering into a moment that is intentionally saying, you know, I'm, I'm being attentive to what God has placed around me. I'm being attentive to this body that he has gifted me with and just bringing like a physical reality into that, I think, can help a more integrated and holistic formation of the spirit. Yeah, I was going to say, I love how you're talking about and it just makes me think of like seeing God in all of life. Right. Yeah. In all of creation, in all of life. Um, so as you're running, um, as you're pouring water on the plants, right? As you're mowing your lawn, right. as you're swimming with your boys, as you step outside and see uh, 
the sunset or the sunrise or uh, clouds in the sky, which doesn't happen very often except for monsoon season in Arizona. <laughs> um, but as you're doing this, you're recognizing and intentionally seeing God in all of life and all of creation. And so when your kid interrupts that or it comes running, you're like, oh, this is a part of God's good creation mm-hmm. that I'm seeing needs me right now. Yeah. Right. Um, and so seeing it as like just as as God has loved me in the in all of life and all of creation, I get to now love my son. Uh, and so I, that's what I'm hearing mm-hmm. is like if we individualize this, then there's interruptions and mm-hmm. distractions. And it's like this. How dare you? But when you begin to see God in all of life and all of creation, you're almost you're almost compelled to invite others into that. Yeah. And that's where the community piece comes in of like, hey, this God is good. I want you to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that helps get to a little bit of what Paul wrote of like pray without ceasing. And when I was younger and I would mm-hmm. think like, I can't like bow <laughs> my head and close my eyes 24-7. You know, like I gotta live. <laughs> but this idea of like, no, you're, you're constantly in communion with the spirit. He's always with us, right? And so when you're doing everyday tasks, when you're at your workplace, when you're having a conversation with your neighbor, when you're, you know, mowing your lawn, like all those things, like you're in constant communion with the spirit. If we would be attentive to that, yes, because he's always attentive to us, but we got to be attentive to him being present. Yeah, Leslie Newbegin says, uh, like, we are what we attend to or we are attentive to. Mm. Like, that's in many ways his, his argument in the little section of one of his books is, like, whatever we're attentive to forms us. So the, the question for us is, like, what are we attentive to? Yeah. Are we attentive to what God's doing, his work through the Spirit in his physical world? That's going to form us in some mm. way. We're attentive to something else, to a screen, to... Uh, some of one of our our, our hurts or mm-hmm. our pains uh, as the dominant story of our lives, like our attentiveness in a sense forms us. Yeah. And so the beauty of attentiveness shouldn't be a visceral response from one thing to another, but to the, the awareness piece, right? So this is even within the mental health conversation. It's not like awareness is key because you can, oh, I'm being attentive to this thing or this feeling. I finally can name that. Mm-hmm. And now because of my attentiveness and of my awareness, I can now shift my attentiveness to something else. Mm-hmm. But if we're just not attentive to, to really anything, which most of our, I feel like most of our days, we're very, very easily distracted and never actually sure what we're attentive to. Yeah, We just kind of live. Mm-hmm. But if we can start to see what we're attentive to, what we're thinking about, what we're reflecting on, then we can begin to shift our attentiveness to other things. Mm. And, and what God's doing in the midst of that. What, where is God in the midst of this feeling that I'm experiencing? He doesn't dismiss that feeling. But now we can bring it to him, the process together. A lot earlier, you mentioned you'd encourage people to sit with or listen to or immerse themselves mm. 
in the work of an author or, yeah. or a podcast. Um, for the sake of those people that might be listening, what are, do you have any authors in mind or podcasts yeah. that you would highly recommend? Yeah. So if you're thinking through this, if we're thinking through a conversation in the, maybe the intersection of mental health and spiritual disciplines, um, maybe I'll start here. There's a, there's this little book, it's out of print, um, but you can find, I think a lot of his work online, his name's Harold Carter and it's called the prayer tradition of, of black people. Mm. And he just talks through what prayer in his tradition looks like from the black church's perspective. Mm-hmm. And it just changes and shifts your understanding of, of prayer in general. And so I would say find people from different traditions. Um, other people that I've really sat with and really enjoyed is the work of Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. If, you were to, if we were to all read through all of his stuff, that would be, I think, helpful for our souls and for us loving neighbor. Henry Nallen has a bunch of different books. Um, but immersing yourselves in some of those voices that I think do a good job of putting together this conversation of mental health and spiritual disciplines. Oh, one one guy that would be would really worth our time would be his name is Kurt Thompson. Mm. He's written a couple different books, uh, Soul of Shame. He has a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. It's like the neurobiology behind spiritual formation and discipline. Mm. And then the Soul of Shame book is more oriented towards shame. Um, and its effect on our lives. But what he does a really good job of is this, this story piece, the connecting what are the stories we tell ourselves about the world and what's the story that God is telling and mm-hmm. we find our place in. And so he does this really good work of even shame is this, is this process of uh, believing a story, taking the events and moments and trauma and hurt of our life and forming into one cohesive in our mind story of who we are. So to disrupt that, and this is the work I think Thompson does a really good job of, to disrupt that, we have to be aware of what those moments are and our own trauma and our own hurt, and then to begin to have those be reshaped and reinterpreted into a different story. Yeah. And that's happening on a neurobiological level, too, as we begin to process some of that stuff. But we can't do that work unless we're even aware that it exists, right? Mm. And so he does a good job of kind of highlighting that work. Those would be some of the people that I would start with or, or think about. Yeah, just uh, follow Charlie on Instagram and you'll see all his yeah. podcast recommendations. At Charlie Neo. That's that it. it. Yeah. yeah.